start, um, we're going to do a series over the next number of weeks, hopefully 10. Um, and we're going to be going into a series talking about what does it look like to like live a normal Christian life? Like what is normal Christianity? Um, and as we were thinking about this, praying about this, um, I too was like, what? is normal Christianity. And I think I have some thoughts and I think that I have some ideas. Um, but what we're really going to run after in these next couple weeks is we're really going to run after looking at the life of Jesus, specifically when he talks to um, a ton of people in this really famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're going to talk about Paul and the life of Paul and a lot of his letters to the churches, because as he is writing all of these letters to all of these different groups of people all over Asia, he's encouraging them, this is how you live. This is how you stay aligned with scripture. This is how you stay aligned to what Jesus really taught. And um, we want to, to glean those things from the word. So before we get started, though, I would love to actually um, have you guys just look just go to two, find a partner next to you. If you haven't met them, introduce yourself, say hi. If you do know them, tell them they look awesome tonight. <laughs> okay. And what I want you to ask, what I want you to ask your friend is, Everybody, what I want you to ask is, what does it mean to live a normal Christian life? If you were up here and you had to teach this to everyone else in the room, what would you say it is? What do you say the normal Christian life is? Okay, so think about it for a second. And then I want you to share with your friend, your neighbor, a stranger that you've just met or a best friend. Okay, go. Okay, if you haven't already switched, switch.
Okay. Okay, so I would love to hear just a few few thoughts, few ideas. And I know this is a little bit vulnerable because um, you're like, I don't know if this is right. Or maybe you're really confident that it's right. But it's fine. No matter what, just what were some thoughts? What are some things that either you said or that you heard your friend say? And be really loud so everyone can hear. Okay, um, to live a normal Christian life, we are led by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Oh, okay. Normal Christian life is loving God, loving our neighbors. Excellent. Okay. Don't separate the natural from the spiritual. Okay. Okay, to live the normal Christian life means a life of obedience. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. To not look normal in the world's eyes. Okay, like that. Okay. From if, if I heard it correctly, to get married and to go swimming. Yeah. Normal Christian life. You would do also real life things. Okay. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, say it again. To pick up your cross every day. Guys, you guys are doing really, really well. Okay, anybody from this section? Oh, yes. Carrying the fruits of the Spirit in every situation. Whew, okay, yes. Yes, walking everywhere, doing what God wants you to do. So not your will, but God's will. Excellent. Anyone else? Any th Paula. To be hospitable. Okay. Normal Christian life. Okay, all of these excellent answers. Bible scholars, give yourself a round of applause. Well done. Okay. Um. I'm going to hit on quite a number of those things tonight. And in the following weeks, you're going to hit those things as well. Um, and I, I think it's good. It's good to like be like, okay, it's not just a title. It's not just something that we say. It's actually something that we live. And um, when I think about the normal Christian life, you have to think when Jesus came and lived on the earth, he modeled a way of living to us. And then he died on the cross he was buried in the ground for three days. He rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven and is alive right now at the right hand of the Father. And he didn't leave us alone, though, to be like, okay, I showed you what to do. Good luck. But he sent us the Spirit, right? And so we are in what a lot of Bible scholars would say. We're, called, we're like in the church age, which means we're in between the cross and his second return, because he's coming back. And we're in this in-between stage where we are, um, we are his hands and feet. We are his representation. We are the ones who carry his spirit everywhere we go to share about who he is, to share about how to, to walk um, in the normal Christian life, what it means to, um, to become um, saved, to become one with him. 
And so when we say that we're living the normal Christian life, it's like it's this time period that we get to live in on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit walking like he walked. So I don't want us to only just think like, these are really, really great ideas on what we think we should do to live a normal Christian life. We should find it rooted in scripture. We should find it rooted in the life of Jesus or people who were following the life of Jesus. So I, wanna, I want you to think about the apostle John, okay? So there were 12 guys who followed Jesus around for three and a half years. It's confusing because there's two Johns in the Bible. And for like a year and a half, I was like, which John are we talking about? Could they have not had different names? Like, why is this so confusing? So we're going to talk about the guy who was with Jesus for three and a half years, okay? The Apostle John. And at the end of his life, he's, he wrote this letter to all of these churches that were in this city called Ephesus. And he was basically saying, this is how you live the normal Christian life. And this is what he said. He said, it's in 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him, to live in Christ must walk as Jesus did. So John's definition of the normal Christian life is look like Jesus. Jesus lived the normal Christian life. I want you to think about that. Jesus, the son of God, the son of man, he lived the normal Christian life. Okay, that is what we are meant to look towards as our standard, as our model, as if, if we we're supposed to look anywhere else, what does it mean to live as a Christian? Jesus. Jesus is the one that we look at. And what's crazy is that Jesus isn't like, okay, watch me do like all of these amazing, perfect things. Again, good luck. He, he would never give us a command or tell us to do something that we couldn't actually accomplish or do. He's not cruel. He isn't tricky. <laughs> he isn't sneaky. He isn't just setting up, set us up for failure. He's like, if I'm going to command you to do something, I have every confidence by the power of my Holy Spirit that you can do it. Okay, so he isn't saying live this ideal life that's actually unattainable. He's saying everything I did, you're going to do and more. That is the normal Christian life. Okay, so that's example number one. That's what John, the apostle, says. Okay, the apostle Peter, not Peter, Paul, the apostle Paul. Um, he wrote to the church in Philippians, um, in Philippians 2, 3, verse 4. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So someone said it earlier, the normal Christian life looks like loving God and loving others. So our lives are not meant to be self-focused. They're actually not meant to be about us. They're about others-focused. It's about, it's about thinking like, what, how can I serve this other person? What can I do to pray for this other person? How can I engage with other people? How can I get outside of me and engage with those around me, whether they be believers or unbelievers? My, my life is actually meant to serve others um, and to walk in a, in a humility that actually prefers other before myself. 
that goes against everything basically our cultures tell us right now. Like if you look at any, like basically like any ad, like you even talk about like you want to buy like a blender. It's like, it's all about you. (laughs) It's about your convenience in your home. Look at these like 75 options for this blender to make your life better because we want you to live your best life so that you, it's like you, 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 it's like, it's all about, everything is, is marketed and everything is about how can I get what I want? How can I live my best life? How can I do me? Like everything is me focused. And Jesus is like, we're, we're going to flip that on the head and it's actually others focused. It's about giving, generosity, humility, preferring others, being uncomfortable. Okay. Third idea around what the Bible would say about living a normal Christian life is from Jesus' own words, which are my favorite because he's my favorite. But I really like John. I really like Paul. But, like, those words in red are just the best. Okay? Jesus is the best. So in Matthew 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to talk about, in Matthew 5.20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This was unbelievably offensive in his day and age. I'm going to read it again. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the highest religious leaders of the day, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And what he is saying is he's saying the normal Christian life isn't about just following rules. It's not just about ticking boxes. It's not about performance. It's not about earning anything. There's something deeper that he's trying to get at. He's like, I, you need a righteousness more than the best rule followers of history. You need a way of living that is not motivated by rules, but it's actually motivated by something different. Okay? And this is a non-negotiable. He says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Never is a very strong word, and he meant it. (laughs) He knew exactly what he was saying. We can't produce or earn a perfect life. Before I was a Christian, I was a really good person. I did a lot of the right things. I also did a lot of wrong things, but I did a lot of right things, okay? I mean, like, I just, yeah, I would be praised on the different things that I could accomplish, that I could earn, that I could do, whether that be in church, in school, in sports. And I was like, yeah, I'm awesome. Like, I'm good. And then I met this girl in college, and she's sharing the gospel with me. And she was like, if you're not 100% sure that you're going to be with Jesus in heaven, then you're not going to heaven. And I was like, I'm like, I'm like 80%. Is that like enough? Like, that's where I was at, where I was like, I'm like 80% sure that I'm like a good person and I could get into heaven. She's like, no, you're not. And I was like, oh, no. This is a problem. I've made my whole life around, like, achieving this goal, and I can't earn it. 
And Jesus is like, no, you can't. There's something else here about living the normal Christian life that isn't rule-based. Okay? So there is, so there's scriptural, like we're getting rooted in the word. But I liked what this, this group, it's a group in America, they're called the Gospel Coalition. And this is their phrase for the normal Christian life. Okay, this is their like sentence and it says, the normal Christian life is the life of repentance, faith, and good works lived through the power of the Spirit and with the help by the means of grace as the Christian is conformed into the image of Christ to the glory of God. So it's a life, a, a normal Christian life, there should be regular repentance. There should be regularly like, like acts and um, places of faith in your life that you're believing for. There are good works, but it's not through our own strength. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be like, um, it's the fruit of the spirits, the boozy said. It's like, I cannot, okay, raise your hand if you agree with this. I cannot produce patience on my own. Does anyone else feel that? Okay, okay. so I read this book recently. Some of you have probably read this book, and you'll be like, oh, my gosh, I know that chapter. And basically the guy was like, if you want to learn patience, you should find the longest line at the grocery store. If you want to learn patience, you need to get um, into the slowest lane of traffic. Like, like purposely put yourself in situations where you have to learn it. And I was like... Wow, everything manifests in me when I am in the slowest line at the grocery store. When I'm just watching everyone zip past and I'm like, I just want to be done, but I'm going to choose it. But like I'm realizing that's, that's real what's in me. Like what's in me is anger, impatience, judgment, frustration. Like that's actually what's in me. Patience is not in me. It's only when I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit to have patience does he give it to me. And so if you ever just want to see what's really inside of you, just choose that really, really long line and just see what comes out, okay? Um, so by the power of the Spirit, um, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. That is the normal Christian life. As we look at Jesus, we see how he lived through his word, and we say, okay, Holy Spirit, empower me to live that life so that I can walk as Jesus walked, so that I can live that life that he lived, okay? Now, I want you guys to, to think about this because I'm sure that none of you have thought this or done this. Um, I might have maybe once or twice, but sometimes I just kind of think that, like, things will happen. I'm kind of like, I'm saved. I love God. I come to ministry nights. I go to prayer sets done living the Christian life <laughs> like and I kind of just think like it's just gonna happen like I'm I'm here I'm doing these things it's just happening but just as that example with like the patience in the slowest line our default isn't naturally the things that we think they are our default is not humility our default is selfishness our default is not surrender. Our default is control. <laughs> Our default is not being generous. 
our default is actually being very greedy and, and, and holding on and like coveting and like grasping. Okay, our default is not actually to do those things and to live that way. We actually have to choose it. We have to, we have to actually choose to live the normal Christian life. There are daily, hourly, sometimes minute by minute decisions of how you walk out this normal Christian life. It isn't just a magical, like, done, here we are. Perfect Christians living this normal Christian life. <laughs> there is, there's an obedience. There's a surrender. There is, there is choices that need to be made. And, um, and we can't just assume that it's going to happen. So as we go through the next several weeks, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Like, the normal Christian life isn't something that just happens to me. It's a choice that I actually have to make with the power of the Holy Spirit helping me and enabling me to make those choices. Um, but I do want to warn you, living the normal Christian life is actually quite costly. Some of you know that already. Some of you have lived that. But living the normal Christian life is costly. Look what happened to Jesus. Look what happened to most of his disciples. Most of, um, I think almost all of them except John were martyred. Like living the normal Christian life is going to be costly. And it's going to be a battle. Our humanity, our default, what we, the Bible calls our flesh, it does not want to live the normal Christian life. It, it wants to be selfish. It wants, it wants to be in control. It wants what it wants. It's, it's that old man that kind of just rears its, its head in different situations where you're like, oh, Lord, help me. But the normal Christian life is actually the most rewarding thing. It is one of the most joyful things you will ever experience. The normal Christian life is costly, but it is so joyful. It's full of freedom. It's full of life. It's full of light. It's pure. It isn't heavy. Like living the normal Christian life will, will lead you to have to make hard decisions. But we get so many incredible benefits that we don't even deserve. But we get them. Okay? So, again, over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about two ways that we're going to like look at the normal Christian life. Sermon on the Mount and Paul. And tonight, I'm just going to give us like this little brief overview on the Sermon on the Mount because that's the first set of teachings that we're going to go after over the next couple weeks. And um, I, I want to ask, though, that we diligently choose to not let these weeks be academic or achievement-based. Okay, the, the temptation when we talk about living a normal Christian life and about how we're meant to live, immediately, I think, and many of you probably think, okay, what do I just need to do? What checklist do I just need to accomplish? How can I improve? How can I um, perform and how can I get a really great grade in this normal Christian life? Okay, so what I would like you to, like you to do is everybody put up, boxing stance. Okay? We're going to fight. 
okay? Just punch the air a few times. We're going to fight this default that's called performance, okay? Okay. Fight the default called performance. The normal Christian life isn't about trying to achieve something and just improving yourself. This is not a self-improvement course, okay? So fight that default. Just fight it, fight it, okay? Fight. I want you to remember that face every time you come in. Be like, I'm going to fight it. Fight, fight, fight. Okay? Okay? Because the goal is not to be a better Christian. Everybody say that. The goal is not to be a better Christian. The goal is love. Okay? <laughs> okay? Yes. Yes. Doesn't that feel way better? It feels way better. You're like, okay. It's not a self-improvement thing. It's about love. Okay? I think, I think as she said it. It's about loving God and loving our neighbor. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. That's what the normal Christian life is about. It's about love, being motivated by love, okay? So Jesus, everything he did was motivated by love. Every decision, every conversation, every healing, every rebuke, everything that he did was motivated from love from his father and love for people. He was motivated by love. So when we live the normal Christian life, we are not going to be like the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, because their system wasn't working. Theirs was rule-based. It was achievement. I think they had, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at my friends who kind of know the Bible more than I do. Um, I think in just the Torah alone, the first five books of the Bible, I think there was 630, 13. I always get 53 and 13 mixed up. There were 613 commandments. Okay? So the Pharisees are like, awesome. Look at us completing all 613 of these. And then on top of that, over the years, they added tradition they added other rules. So there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things you had to do to be able to even think about interacting with God or the Torah. And there was a whole tabernacle thing going on too. Okay? Jesus is like, I have come motivated by love. And the law actually was a foundation of love that was behind it. But you've taken the love out, and you've made it all about rules and achievement and performance. And I'm bringing love back into what I initially intended everyone and however everyone should live, okay? So, is everyone good? Okay, so we're going to fight, fight, okay? We're fighting that mindset of this is not about being a better Christian. We're going to put on love, putting on glasses of like how do I get motivated and how do I see through love in everything that Jesus is going to model for us. Cool? Good? Okay. So what is the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, how many of you have ever heard about the Sermon on the Mount? Okay. 
I was, like, saved for, like, five years before I ever heard about this thing. And I was like, why didn't anyone tell me about this thing? <laughs> like, this is a very important part of scripture. This is very helpful to know. But what I was, when I was reading, when I was studying, when I was, like, praying, I found out that this is, like, really, really widely known, like, Sermon on the Mount. But it is the least understood and the least obeyed thing that Jesus says. And it was, like, the most important, one of the most important things that he said. It was one of his most important sermons that he ever preached. And it was like his, some people call it like the constitution of his kingdom that he was bringing. It's like, if you, if you want to know how to live in my kingdom, this is how you live. If you want to know like our manifesto, it's the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you live in my kingdom. If you want to be a part of my people, if you want to be a part of this kingdom that's coming, this is how you do it. This is how you live. And, and what's wild is, is that he's like introducing like a whole new culture, a whole new way of living. But he's using like things that they know and even the law that they know. And he's saying, I want you to look deeper to see the heart behind it. I want you to actually go deeper to understand the intent behind all of these things that I've laid out um, throughout all of the Old Testament. And um, how many of you, like, have ever gone to, like, a friend or a family member's house and, like, the culture of their family, how they talk to one another, how they interact, how they live, how they greet you. How many of you have ever been to a house that has been radically different, either for better or worse, than you? Okay. I, I grew up... Um, my mom is American, and my dad is British, and my, my family was just quite reserved, okay? So we, like, to a fault, we, like, never showed emotion, okay? Like, we just did not cry in front of one another. We did not get angry in front of one another. It was just really lots of reserved emotions, okay? And um, we just really didn't have people over at my house a lot. I think it's because I had really young brothers and sisters. And, like, they, um, they just were always napping. They just were always sleeping. So I was like, we can't have anybody over. So, like, I rarely had friends over at my house. Um, they just, we moved a lot. We moved, like, every two to three years because my dad was in the military. And so, like, we just didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> and so our house was, like, pretty empty most of the time. It was really quiet really no emotion, and, like, we just watched a lot of TV, okay? Like, that was basically, like, me. I love my parents. We have a great family. It's amazing. We do have fun now. It's fine. But, like, growing up, like, that's what I remember. Like, everything is quiet. Everything is reserved. Um, no one's really ever coming over. And when we do, um, like, it's kind of awkward, okay? So that is, like, the culture of my family, so then I, like, go away to university, I get my first job, and now I'm living in Kansas City, and I'm working with a different ministry, and there's a lot of internationals that are a part of this ministry. So I make some really great friends um, with this um, couple. It's an American and a Brazilian. Love Brazil. And, um, and I, like, I, like, literally did not know what to do with them because they would be like, come over any time. And I was taught, like drilled into my brain, you never invite yourself over, like ever. 
It's like the rudest thing that you could ever do is just show up at somebody's house. Like you have to call like three days in advance. You have to make an appointment. Like you would never, ever in my family culture just come over. And so Danny, who is the Brazilian, was like, I, I just need to talk to you about something. And I was like, what? And he's like, I'm really offended at you. He's like, you just never come over. And I'm like, Danny, I don't know how to do that. Like, I literally, physically cannot do that. And he's like, you must. That's offensive to my culture. And um, so it took me a year. An entire, like, they are my best friends. And it took me a year to get comfortable just coming over to their house unannounced, without texting, without calling, without doing anything. Like, I would just show up. And they would, like, cheer Every time I'd come to the door, they're like, yes, you did it, you're here. And, um, like, their household was so different than mine. Like, it was always loud. And that's not a bad thing. Like, there was just always music going on. Kids were playing. Food was everywhere. Like, we were always eating. They were always feeding me. We were always having late-night conversations. They were always throwing a party. People were over at their house, like, 24-7. I don't know how they lived. But um, it was so radically different than my, my upbringing, than my family. And it, like, it changed how I saw family. It changed how I saw hospitality. It changed how I saw um, just how friendships interacted. Like, I grew and learned so much from this. But it was so radically opposed to my upbringing, okay? Jesus is basically doing that to all of his friends right here. He's saying, you have lived in one kind of family setting with one kind of set of rules that we've all kind of agreed upon. And I'm coming in like a Brazilian being like, hi, we're going to live a different set of rules and we're going to live in a different set of, of ways and values and this is how you're going to live if you're going to live in my kingdom. This is how we operate as a family. This is what you need to agree to, to be a part of, of what I'm doing on the earth, okay? So what were some of those things? What was he saying? How was he saying for them to live? And some of you said this as we asked the questions earlier. Number one, you have to look entirely different from everyone else. Like how you speak how you act with others, how you respond, how you listen, like everything about you needs to be very distinct and look different from the people around you. It needs to look more like Jesus and less like the world. Another thing is, Jesus will talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, he says you have to shine like lights in the darkness. You, you actually have to be aware that you have an influence you have an influence when you carry the kingdom with you. And how you use that influence really, really matters. And you shouldn't hide it underneath a basket. Your influence on being able to release the kingdom means that you shine as a light without fear, boldly, proudly. You're going to be salt of the earth, light of the world. He says that, again, your righteous deeds have to exceed that of all of the religious leaders. He's saying there is a depth in you that's going to be motivated by love and not by rule following that's going to be offensive to so many people. 
Because you're going to win people through love and not through rules. And it's going to shift how people interact and think and, and, and respond to you. And it's, he says that there, the love that we have needs to be greater than what's displayed by the world. The depth of our love, how we love, how we speak about love, how we show love, it has to look different and it has to be genuine and pure in a way that's so different from how the world shows love. And what's wild is that when you look throughout the whole New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount is the most complete picture anywhere in the whole of the New Testament of the Christian countercultural life. Jesus is basically dropping the mic. <laughs> and he's saying, this is how we're going to live now moving forward. This is how we're going to operate as a people. This is how we want our value systems to be set up. This is the new normal. This is the normal Christian life. And nowhere else in the New Testament can you see how completely countercultural he is going to just hit everybody with. He's like, he's going to offend everyone in the crowd. He's going to offend everyone because everyone's going to be like, but I thought that it was like this. Or I've been comfortable in this way. This is actually making me very uncomfortable. Actually, I don't want to change. I want to stay the same. I actually really like performing. I really like earning my righteousness. Like, there's like measurables here. I know what to do. And he's like, nope, we're changing the game. And so I want you to, I want you to think about like when you guys come, when you're driving, okay, just pretend you're driving in a car. When you hit a stop sign, how much do you obey that stop sign? Like how many of you are like, ah, it's like a guide. It's like a caution. It's kind of like I kind of hit the gas and kind of hit the brake. I kind of paused, but I mostly rolled through it. Anybody? Anybody? In California, we call it the California roll. Okay. Okay. But how many of you know that the stop sign is the law? It's actually the law. It's the law. There is, there is wisdom behind that law. There is safety behind that law. There was a lot of value thought about behind that law. That law saves lives. Like that is that is a rule and a law that we are all meant to follow. Okay? How, how differently would you approach that stop sign if you had your, friend, your best friend's three kids in the back? Do you still roll? <laughs> or is there something different where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm care I like these are not my kids. If anything happened, oh my gosh, like I really actually care about these kids, really care about my friends. Like there's like a different responsibility when it's just you or there's like infants in the back. For some of you, you probably need to talk to the Lord about that and still talk about like do you still roll? Do you still not? Okay. But like when we come to that stop sign and we think it's just it's just a suggestion of a law. 
because it's something to tick off or not versus I'm now motivated by love because there's lives in my car that I actually really care about. I'm going to now obey that thing. Do you see the difference? The same was with prayer. I used to be very, well, I'm still not great. I'm still growing. But, like, I was not very great at prayer. I felt like prayer was really boring. And I just, like, was like, what do you say? I have, like, five sentences and then I'm done. Like, I just, like, really was like, I don't get prayer. Like, it just feels like wishful thinking. Like, I just, I just don't get prayer. And then God said, hey, go spend seven years at this thing called the International House of Prayer and spend like five to six hours of day praying. And I was like, hmm, I see what you're doing here, God. But I used to approach prayer as this task, as like this Christian like thing that I knew I had to do. And like I knew it was good. I knew it was a value. Like I knew it was in the Bible but, like, my heart wasn't connected to it. Like, I knew it was something that I was supposed to do. Then I got to the prayer room, and I was in the prayer room for the first six hours, and I was like, oh, dear God, I don't know how to pray. I'm really bored. I, like, I can't believe that I'm doing this voluntarily, like, this is like crazy. I paid money to do this. Like, I am a crazy person. And, um, but after a couple weeks, I felt like the Lord, like just, it was like I had a revelation where I was like, oh my gosh, I can either come to this as, as a task, as a duty, as a thing I'm supposed to check off a list, or I can come to you because you are the living God who actually wants a relationship with me, who loves the sound of my voice, that when I open my mouth, I actually move your heart, that this isn't wishful thinking, but actually you designed prayer to be a thing where I actually have to ask you for things so that then you can release them on the earth. The humility that you have, that you're not just gonna do things on your own, but you actually want partnership and friendship. You actually want me to know like, what's on your heart? Like, the creator of the universe wants to share the things that are on his heart with me, that he would trust me with them. That's a very different prayer life than this one. It's a very different way of living than this one. And that is what basically the Sermon on the Mount is saying. He's like, I don't want you to live by the letter of the law. I want you to, out of relationship, out of a motivation of love, in partnership with me, live this normal Christian life. And that's why it's so countercultural, because it's not about what we can just do. It's about being motivated by love. And um, we're going to see again later, Paul's going to basically echo everything that Jesus is saying, but with his own words. And um, the Sermon on the Mount and this, this lifestyle of living normal Christianity means we're going to be pretty much consistently misunderstood. We're going to look crazy and radical. It's really not going to make sense to a lot of people this way that we live because we're going to do crazy things like give like our life savings to someone who needs to do a DTS. 
And like that is like not normal, okay? <laughs> like we're going to like give cars away that we purchased with our own money and then we're just going to give them to another person. That's not normal. Like we are going to be so generous and it's going to offend people because it's not the way the world lives, okay? It means we're going to forgive even though I really want to be justified. I'm going to lay down my right to be justified and I'm going to actually forgive you for this really, really difficult thing that has happened. I'm going to show you mercy even if you don't deserve it. That is offensive, okay? It means that you are going to be kind to really rude people. It means you're going to smile and it's not going to be fake. <laughs> it means that you're going to be able to see their original design and who God really made them to be and know that how they're operating isn't actually who they are and be able to speak a word of life and truth to them that's going to bring them out of that hurt and pain and they're actually going to get set free and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that this was possible because you said a kind word. It's going... About, it's going to be about going against everything that your flesh wants and instead, like, not doing your will but his will. What my friend said over here. Not my will but your will be done. That is offensive. That is hard. But that is the Christian, normal Christian life. Um, and every chapter that we're going to go through, it's going to make you choose. Every, every section of the Sermon on the Mount is like, choose. Choose the narrow path or choose the wide path. Choose if you're going to live your way or choose if you're going to live the kingdom way. Choose, choose, choose. And it's hard. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to choose the better way. And then once we do that better way, more and more and more, we're like, there actually couldn't be any other way. It becomes almost addictive because you're like, wow, I just really love pleasing the Lord. I really love living by the fear of the Lord. I really love seeing people set free. I really love being free myself. Like, this is amazing. So there's this, like, really, really famous guy who wrote a lot of really great books. His name is called John Stott. And he has this really, really long quote. And I'm going to read it. It's going to be up on the screen if you need to follow along. But he says that the Sermon on the Mount presents the heart of the teaching of Jesus. It makes goodness attractive. It shames our shabby performances. And it stirs hope of a better world. Jesus did not give us an academic treaty I actually don't know how to say that word. Treatise? Treaty. Treatise. I don't know how to say that word. An academic article <laughs> calculated merely to stimulate the mind. I believe he meant his sermon to be obeyed. If Christians wholeheartedly accepted his standards and values and lived by them, we would become the radically different society that Jesus always intended us to be. And the world would see it and they would believe. The Sermon on the Mount 
is to be obeyed. It's not meant to be just academically looked at. It's not meant to be just thought about. It's not meant to just be a good reading in your Bible study plan. It's actually meant to make you choose and to obey. And when we do, I do think that we will become that radically different society that Jesus always intended us to be. Can you imagine just, just imagine just this town. If Pachestrum, if every believer, if every Christian said, I'm going to do the Sermon on the Mount, can you imagine what an upheaval that would bring to this city? <laughs> like, if we, like, I want you to just take some time, read it over the next couple weeks as we go through it. Like, it asks you to do wildly radical things that actually are meant to be very normal. What if we normal, normalized what we thought was actually quite radical? Like Jesus and how he lived, that was normal. The ability that he had to have compassion for people who were so broken and to see them healed, but also to be able to speak truth and love and have zero compromise when it came to the religious leaders. To see, I mean, sometimes we think the normal Christian life should be things just supernatural, like raising people from the dead. But the normal Christian life also really is being kind to the people who are the most rude to us. That's just as radical as raising people from the dead. And actually, sometimes that takes more faith <laughs> to be kind, to choose what we say, to have self-control, to have patience, to have love, to see them the way that Jesus sees them. That sometimes is actually more radical to us than even raising the dead. So let's normalize what we actually think is radical. Jesus has a lot of, of fun things that he's going to do in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I was going to give you a really long outline, but I'm not going to do that. But basically, just know that he's going to ask every believer to live out like eight incredible character qualities. They're called the Beatitudes. He's going to say, hey, if you live this way, pursuing 100 obedience, it's going to help you to resist temptation like anger, lust, unforgiveness. And you're going to probably be able to do those things. You're going to overcome anger if actually if you pray. And he's going to lay out some different ways of how to live and different activities that we can do to help us resist temptation and live out this character that he's wanting to grow in us. But he's also going to warn us throughout this sermon to not judge people around you. To not judge their maturity or that they're not where you're at. And to also not be defensive when people come at you accusing you of different things. He is going to ask you to pray to intervene in relationships that are really, really difficult that is going to want to make you go into anger and unforgiveness. And he's going to help you discern 
what is like wrong ways of thinking and how do I, how do I follow truth? And it says that when you follow the Sermon on the Mount, when you live out these eight characteristics, you're resisting temptation, you're, you're pursuing obedience, you're just trying not to judge people, you're discerning false messages, you're, you're just, you're doing the best that you know how to do by the power of the Spirit. It says that you're going to impact society. He says that he's going to reward you. He says you're going to get treasures in heaven. And it says that your heart is going to come the most alive it's ever been. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. How do we live and how do we respond? How do we respond in love to you, in obedience to you? And how do we love those around us and not let it just be all about rules? How, do we, how are we motivated by love? And um, I... It's, what's crazy about Jesus is that he actually really, really wants you to be great. I think we think that we just have to only be humble and low, and we have to just become like, like just groveling at his feet. And he says, actually, in my kingdom, I really want you to be great. And you become great when you choose love. He said of John the Baptist, the other John, which is confusing, because remember there's John the Apostle, then there's John the Baptist. So the other John, he said that he was the greatest man born of a woman. Jesus said that about his own cousin. He called somebody great. And you know why he said that he was great? It's because he chose love. He loved God. He loved people. He was humble. He saw Jesus for who he really was. And he was like, I will follow the lamb wherever he goes. <laughs> he loved God and he loved people. It's why he called him the greatest man. So, and when we do the Sermon on the Mount, I, again, I don't want you to think about a rule. I want you to fight that mindset of performance. And I don't want you to think that you just have to somehow become like all I picture is like this like person like groveling at Jesus' feet, like being like, God, have mercy on me. Like, I'm just a sinner. He's like, no, when you do a Sermon on the Mount, like, you're my son. You're my daughter. You become great in my kingdom. I actually trust you with things. I, I actually want to give you my heart and responsibility because I can trust you because you're living the way that I've lived. And so when we live this way, we actually become really, really great, which is crazy and humbling and amazing all at the same time. So I'm going to actually invite the band up. And I want us just to, um, I just want us to respond. And I feel like there's two groups of people that I want to maybe ask to respond. Uh Remember, the goal is not becoming a better Christian. What is the goal? Love. And I just want you, I want all of us to ask this question. What are you motivated by in following Jesus? What are you being motivated by in following Jesus? 
How have you been measuring yourself? What sticks are you using? What evaluation system are you using? Is it God's love? Is it his delight over you? Is it he calls you a son and a daughter? Or is it, I actually need to earn and perfect. And I actually think God is mostly angry and mostly disappointed in how I've been living. And so I would love, um, I would love if you just feel like, wow, I feel like I have just been living this performance, rule-based, thinking God is actually just mostly mad and angry at me and that I'm mostly just disappointing him all the time. Actually, I just need, I need a fresh revelation of his love. So in these next couple weeks, as we talk about how to live the normal Christian life, I don't want that mindset coming over me every week. I want to be able to walk in and hear about how to live and feel joy, to feel free, to feel like, wow, Jesus, I actually really love you and I really, really know you love me. And this isn't about, this isn't about a grade. This isn't about trying to achieve something on a list that you have that you're marking off in heaven. So that's group number one. So think about that for a second. And then there might be another group of you that are like, wow, I actually thought that I've been a Christian for my whole life, but actually I don't know God's love. I actually only thought that being a Christian was trying to be really, really good. I've actually never had a relationship with God like this where I am not being evaluated on how good I can be. Maybe you're like me where you're like, I'm only like 80% sure. <laughs> I want to be 100% sure that I, that I am loved by God, that I actually have an eternal destiny, that I can be forgiven and washed clean, and that I actually want to be a son and a daughter, not relating to you as like a slave and a master. I actually want to give my whole life to you in love and in trust and in joy and I don't want to just live like the Pharisees lived, which was just out of rules and regulations without any relationship, without any fellowship, without any um, joy, with any freedom. We always feel like, am I ever living up to the standard that I need to? Am I ever, am I ever going to be sure that I that I'm 100% his, okay? So if you felt that second one, if you're like, wow, I just feel like I actually really wanna give my full life to the Lord and I've just been operating in a way where I've just been trying to obey rules. I'm gonna ask you to stand up. <laughs>